This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hello folks and welcome to episode 40 of the Head Going Mate podcast. Adam's my name. Uh, a couple of uh, significant milestones this week. Um, we've had as I just said, episode 40, but also year one of our podcast. Um, we we celebrated our first birthday uh, during the last two weeks, which was pretty phenomenal. Uh, and of course, we uh, celebrated 10,000 total listens this week as well, which means uh, we've been listened to all over the world, um, on every continent on Earth, barring Antarctica. In just the last, uh, say, two weeks since uh, Ben's episode, we've been listened to in uh, England, Ireland, Italy, Belgium, Germany, Russia, um, I think the Philippines. Uh, just phenomenal, just amazing the places we've been listening to. UAE we were listened to as well. And, and just incredible to think that this message is so universal that that people all over the world are listening to it. Um, but again, so thankful for the support that we get here in Australia and, um, and of course, in our hometown, in my hometown, which is Sydney, Australia. Uh, so again, thank you so much. We are humbled and we are grateful and we will uh, hopefully continue to do this for many more episodes and continue to tell people's stories. Um, and speaking of telling stories, my guest this week... Uh, we recorded, uh, we met a couple of weeks ago, and um, the really interesting thing um, about doing what we do is is sometimes I ask complete strangers to sit there and tell me their, their deepest, darkest secrets, and I'm so fortunate that people are happy and willing to do that and trust me enough to be able to sit with me. So my guest this week is uh, is Asha Zappa, and Asha Zappa is a, a service user, a registered art therapist a published researcher and a mental health advocate who worked for Way Ahead, which is the um, the New South Wales, uh, the former New South Wales Mental Health Association. And they do lots of really cool stuff um, in terms of uh, funding and supporting mental health services all across New South Wales. They're partly responsible for the uh, for Mental Health Week um, and the, the celebrations that happen in October. They um, they do the they fund a bunch of programs to run um, to do different things. In that space, uh, and Asha is Asha was really interesting. I was introduced to Asha through Ben, who was on the last podcast, and um, had a really cool chat, uh, and got to sort of talk a bit about about art, about art therapy, um, about borderline personality disorder, which is uh, um, a, probably a little known um, mental health condition, um, and really a little bit misunderstood, as Asha says. Um, a little bit about uh, her, or the, about their background in um, in uh, in the mental health space. Uh, a really interesting um, 
little example of the, how the mind works when you are in crisis and, and you're angry. So really interesting to hear uh, that that explanation. And if you if you listen closely, I you know strongly suggest you jump on it's the the Dan Spiegel's um, hand model of the mind, which is really interesting. And if you get a chance, YouTube that and have a look at that. And it'll, uh, Ash explains it really well, but the explanation uh, makes a lot more sense when you see it um, demonstrated. And um, so, well, not a lot more sense, but it, it, it you kind of get a little bit more of an insight into it. But a really interesting conversation, and, it, and as I said, I'm really privileged that people will sit with me and spend an hour and talk to me about uh, their mental health. But more importantly, um, talk about the things that support good mental health. And, and I think the thing I took away from our chat is very much it's about um, exploring a creative side. And we, we touched on this with Simon a couple of weeks back, or a few weeks back as well. Um, the, exploring a creative side and, and allowing that creative element to be a part of the recovery process, which is, is so important. So um, a really intriguing chat, really interesting chat. Um, I'm really happy that I got to sit down with Asha and have that conversation. And uh, without further ado, let's do what we do every time we do a podcast. Um, oh, actually, before we do that, folks, if you get a chance, jump on and, and review this podcast. Um, let us know what you think. Send us a review on, on Apple. Uh, we're looking at being uh, released on Amazon and Audible soon. Uh, they're looking at releasing podcasts across their um, audio services, so that's going to be really interesting. But in the meantime, um, like I say, we ask the same question every single week. So uh, let's ask Asha the question. Asha, how you going, mate? Pretty good today, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, got up a bit too early, could have done with some more sleep, but oh. other than that, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, and... and, and you know, what's the morning routine then? What's the... Well, I've got a seven-year-old yep. who is not having a great time with the transition back to school after yeah. um, being isolated and doing homeschooling. So we have to get up a bit early just to, you know, make sure that there's plenty of time to have breakfast and get dressed and not be in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, trying to do it in a rush is not great for anybody, so just having to get up early and yeah I'm not a morning person and neither no. is he so no. bribery <laughs> works bribery works really well <laughs> yeah unfortunately we're both really stubborn and it's not as effective as I wish it was for him I, had, uh, I have a six-year-old daughter and uh, we had a similar experience this morning although she we were up late and uh, so she was, you know, grizzling about getting uniforms on, and and we stop at a little little coffee spot on the way to school usually, and pick up a, we I drop her off once a fortnight at school, so we stop at a little coffee spot, and I pick up a hot chocolate for her and a coffee for me. I'm like, do you want to go and get hot chocolate? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, you need to get dressed. Okay, <laughs> and that's usually enough. We usually can manage that, but um, she yeah she's certainly some and and we I relate to what you're saying about the transition back to to she loved yeah. being at home yeah yeah I think so my kid Ozzy really struggled with the Zoom schooling yeah, yeah, that yeah. wasn't great mm-hmm. but the you know home learning and you know the different activities. Yeah. He he did really enjoy that. So yeah. she did say to us that the new teacher wasn't very good. That was, <laughs> and the deputy principal sucked. <laughs> but um, 
But yeah, look, it, it was look. It's a, it's a strange time. We've talked a bit about it on a few episodes mm. that we've done, and um, particularly when we couldn't kind of meet with people and record with them. Um, so we sort of did our own episodes with myself and my wife. But it's a really weird time. It's just it's. I, I said to my, I said to both of my children, one day your grandchildren will ask you about this. Yeah. You know, one day they'll go, Nana, you know, tell us about the, the great pandemic of 2020. Mm. You know, and, you know, we'll be like, oh, God, we had to lay on the lounge and watch streaming services. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but all we had was YouTube back then. You kids think you have a tough now. <laughs> we, all we had was 78 different streaming services. But, um, yeah, it is an interesting, interesting time in yeah. our world. So tell us about where we are. Tell us about what you do. So... Um, we're in the office here at, uh, well, Way Ahead for yep. me. So there are a few different organisations yep. that share this office, but I work for Way Ahead, yep. and that's the Mental Health Association of New South Wales. Yep. And we're primarily a mental health promotion yep. um, organisation, so a lot of information, yep. uh, directory. Uh, we run forums yep. and different uh, groups yep. like anxiety support groups and the small steps program which is for teachers and parents about childhood anxiety yep. and then the other thing that we do that I'm really involved with is organize mental health promotion campaigns such mm-hmm. as mental health month yep. which is October yep. um, so we're very busy <laughs> in preparation for that <laughs> It'd be madness here right now, wouldn't it? Well, it's actually not. It's, it's there's nobody here. No, nobody's here. There's three of us um, in the office, well, four including you today. Yeah. So we do have a cap on how many people can come into the office. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some days we sort of hit the cap, and some days we absolutely don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been interesting working from home um, and trying to coordinate all these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially, yeah, with Mental Health Month so close and having to have so many meetings to coordinate things. And uh, one of the things that we do is obviously create, you know, campaign artwork and all the collateral. And in the past, that's been a very collaborative process between uh, myself and the graphic designer and the communications team and everyone and, you know, it's very much a sort of in the moment, back and forth, point to the screen. And having to do that remotely has yeah. been tricky. And I've done it a few times where I've pointed to the screen on a Zoom meeting and remembered that nobody can see where I'm pointing. <laughs> um, so that's it's been interesting. Um, but it's a really exciting campaign this year. So every three years we have a theme for Mental Health Month. Yep. And... This is the first year of the new theme. So the last theme was Share the Journey, which was all about social connection. Yep. And this year the theme is Tune In. So it's all about, you know, just paying attention to how you are, mm-hmm. to what's around you, yeah. but also to some of the broader things about, you know, tune into your community, tune into stigma and shame. And, yeah, it's it's exciting i'm looking forward to it um one of the big things we do for mental health month is we have a small grants program where organizations across new south wales submit an application and um, we give out small grants to help them put on events and projects during mental health month and i i love reading all the applications and seeing what's happening around the state and 
the really incredible creative responses to Mental Health Month and reaching people and getting people involved and active. And obviously things are quite different this year in terms of we're not going to have any big public fairs. No, no, no. Um, But, you know, things like last year, Newcastle Airport had a paper plane project for Mental Health Month. So a whole bunch of schools sent in paper planes made by the students and um, the community were invited to make and send in paper planes as well and they were put on display at Newcastle Airport and, you know, that was such a creative way to reach people. And were they like, they were decorated and messages on them or things like that? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, And, you know, there's film nights, there's public forums, um, you know, there's so many things across the state and it's really wonderful to see communities get really engaged in Mental Health Month and connecting with their community and speaking about mental health. Um, So, yeah, that's top of my mind at the moment because we've got a lot going on for it. Um, But we also do the Mental Health Matters Awards, which is coming up. Um, So usually that's an in-person event, but this year it's going to be an online series of events. And, yeah, again, the award winners are so incredible, some of the work that's being done. So the awards recognise excellence in mental health promotion and organisation and activities across New South Wales. And there are a whole bunch of different categories. Um, Last year, the... Um, winners of the youth category, for example, was uh, a group called Fling Physical Theatre down in Bega. And <laughs> that sounds like a vocal warm-up exercise, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> Fling Physical Theatre. Yeah. Um, and they had put together, in collaboration with local students, yeah. a physical theatre piece about mental health. And it was incredible. It was wonderful to watch them um, and they're looking at sort of turning that into a model that can tour around the state. So, you know, really wonderful work. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, again, reading through the nominations for that. So, I don't get to judge them, no. um, but I do get to read them all. And it's wonderful to see what's being done. Do you, for me, I feel like one of two things would happen with me. I'd either read that and go, wow, that's really inspiring. I'm going to go and do something. Or I'd be like, man, I'm wasting my life. What am I doing? <laughs> God, look at what these people are doing. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get off my ass. <laughs> I get a bit of both, to be honest. Um, you know, especially you know, seeing what young people are doing. Um, and, you know, it's like you've got, you know, school or uni, like where do you find the time to be such – you know, to do such incredible things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of passion out there. I think it's also nice to see, you know, I guess mental health wasn't something that I sort of spoke to you off air about, you know, some of my stuff, but um, mental health wasn't – we didn't sit around and talk about mental health when I was in high school. I don't recall having those mm. conversations. And so it certainly wasn't something I was aware of. And it's something certainly that I have a 15-year-old daughter as well she's much more aware of um and still it's just still a lot of work to do but it's nice to see younger people talking about it. it's nice to see them recognizing it and hopefully hopefully being able to manage it 
not having to get to a point, I guess, where they're in crisis or where something happens and they get into their 30s and they go, oh, okay, now I've got to try and go engage in damage control. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I... I'm a self-confessed optimist, but I like to think that that kind of awareness also can lead to a difference in the way that we treat people who are going through difficulties. So I have um, lived experience myself and I think like if there had been more awareness amongst my peers of, you know, some of the symptoms or manifestations of mental illness and um, distress, then, you know, maybe people would have been a bit more compassionate. Um, And it's, you know, interesting having listened to the episodes on bullying because bullying was a really big issue for me and a lot of that uh, was sort of centred around things that I now know are were manifestations of you know, mental health issues and other difficulties. And Can you give us an example? Yeah, so um, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the purpose isn't to re-traumatise either, okay? No, no, no. So please, don't, um, please say no if you want to. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the really obvious things was um, – for me, when I was younger especially, emotional reactions came quickly yep. and quite obviously. Yep. Um, so, you know, always quick to cry, but also, um, you know, because of trauma and mental health issues, um, mm. but also sensory processing issues and undiagnosed ADHD. Um, yeah, having quite quick but extreme reactions so mm-hmm. yeah crying but also yelling and um I, you know I was the bear that anybody could poke and then and get the, the reaction and there's always that kid that goes hey watch this it'll be funny and then comes over to Asher and goes poke yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so I think hopefully the more that people understand the ways that mental health difficulties can manifest in people, the more chance they'll have to be compassionate. And I'm not saying you have to like everybody. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I did things that were, you know, unrelated to mental health that were just, you know, can I swear? You can swear if you want to. I was just going to say shitty. Um, <laughs> Shitty's fine. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, shitty things or I was annoyed. Like, that's fine. You don't have to like everybody. Yeah. Um, but having a bit of an understanding can hopefully lead to that place where you you know say hey that bear is reacting maybe there's something else going on maybe i'll just walk away yeah um or you know talk about them behind their back and don't take it any further like yeah. that's you know or just go god they're they're an asshole i'm just oh, i won't don't talk to them yeah yeah it's exactly. it's it's interesting um the very first guest i don't had on here was my friend nathan and nathan was very open about his story and, um, you know, some of the experiences he talked about and how he was and and how he felt people would have perceived him, in his, particularly in his teenage years. And when you sit and reflect on that, I look at some of the people that I knew and I go, yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking of another 
school friend of mine that has certainly gone down this pathway, you go, yeah, man, you, you probably had a really shitty home life. Mm-hmm. There was probably some really intense stuff happening for you. And what we saw was that being translated into the schoolyard. What we saw was, you know, that anger that you had towards yourself, towards your family, towards your situation yeah. was being then directed at us. Um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a mate of mine who is, is dealing with that as an adult in his mid-40s and is working through that and is a much different person because of it. Yeah. You know, um, but recognising you looking back and going, man, that person probably had a really tough time and I didn't even pay attention. I didn't, I probably didn't even know. And p- potentially at 12, 14, 15, 16, 18 years of age, didn't have the emotional capacity to actually, as, as we spoke about, yeah. not knowing what to do, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I can't remember where I heard it actually, but it's something I've only heard in the last sort of few years of my life. Um, and actually, I do remember it where it was from. So I um, was part of a DBT group. So DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. um, which I got um, sent to this group after my last hospitalization. And it's a you know really effective type of therapy. And one of the sort of concepts that they talk about is that if somebody's reaction seems disproportionate to the situation Mm. as you see it, Mm. you're not seeing the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if a young person is, you know, crying over spilt milk, Mm -hmm. um, then it's not about the milk. It's, It's not about what you can see there's something else going on and I think yeah to go back to the compassion compassion is yeah that realization that I don't see the whole story Mm. what you're reacting to is something that I don't know whether that's home life whether that's you know body issues you know thinking Mm. about young people but it could be anything that might be causing that reaction and Mm. that little incident that from the outside looks totally minor Mm. has brought all of that back and made all of those things immediate Mm. and you know one of the things for me that you know I worked do a lot of work to sort of manage and understand and give myself compassion for Mm is um is around attachment and around you know when I was younger people not liking me and Mm. as I've gotten older I've sort of understood it in a different way but that thing of being rejected and so yeah when somebody was mean to me or rejected me Mm. and I had this you know reaction that was turned up to 11 it had nothing to do with them rejecting me it was the fact that my, you know, my body, those sort of um, reptilian parts of your brain, yeah. the uh, mammalian parts of your brain. They've they got a lot to answer for, that right? reptilian part of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> but that instantly transported me back yeah. into, you know, all the, all the other times that I'd been rejected and all the times where, especially, you know, as a young kid, when those sort of patterns in the brain are being laid down, the times that that rejection had felt like life or death. 
yeah. or been interpreted by those parts of my brain as life or death. And, you know, as especially as a, you know, very young child, you'll do anything to avoid that pain. Mm. And if that's the pattern that's laid down, then, then that's the pattern that you've got, you know, through childhood, through yeah. adolescence. And, you know, those patterns take a long time and a lot of work mm. to undo. But, you know, not just, you know, I'm speaking about attachment here and um, those sort of early formative relationships. But I think that's sort of true in a sort of really broad scale as well, um, you know, in a whole as relating to a whole bunch of different experiences. So not just, you know, something necessarily (coughs) traumatic, but, you know, if you know, like, from a very young age that if you leave clothes on the floor, your mum's going to get a bit shitty. (laughs) Um, Happened a lot in my house. (laughs) And then that, you know, it's not a really negative thing it's not something that's necessarily going to traumatize you but that little sort of twinge of you know wanting to prevent a negative reaction is something that you know stays with you and then you know as an adult you see a pile of clothes on the floor and something in you goes back to that and yeah it's not traumatic and it's not necessarily indicative of any problems per se um but that sort of process that happens in a very I can't leave I can't leave way. food on a plate because as I I grew up in the era of when we first started to become really aware of you know Africa and famine and you know things like Live Aid and Ethiopia and, and places like that and so you know very much that generation of you know eat everything in your plate yeah uh, you know or you don't get this until you finish your food you can't leave the table with you. Um, I always loved food anyway, so I was never finishing it was never a problem. But um, I, I'll clean my plate, and if the kids leave, you know, enough food, like I look and go, no, that's too much food you've left there. I'm gonna have to eat that too. <laughs> you know, oh, that potato, that's mine. Um, you know, and so yeah, it's not. It's just a, an automatic response to me now, and something I have to be really aware of. And my wife will say to me, "You don't need that," and I'm like. Yeah, but there's a kid in Africa. And she, yeah. <laughs> and it's horrible. <laughs> what, are we bad people for laughing at that? No, 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 let's not have that debate. But um, but you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's that's the mindset that I have that yeah. I have to finish it. And um, you know, so for both of my daughters, if they don't finish their plate, that's fine, no yeah. problem at all. You know, don't eat it. That's cool. Or you know, Dad, I've just left enough space to have dessert. Can I have dessert? Yep, cool, no problem at all. Whereas, you know, my generation, I was told, no, no, you finish your dinner and then you can have dessert. Yeah, oh, I'll jam this in and then I'll jam in some ice cream as well. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I get that as well. And I think the thing that people don't really, a lot of people don't consider with the brain is the brain is just designed to always look for the shit that's going to kill you. Yeah. It's designed to look for the negative consistently. So where, as you say, where that pattern gets laid down, well, okay, I'm going to meet this person. They're probably going to be an asshole to me. Or at some point, they're going to disappoint me. So I'm just actually going to expect that now. And working to kind of go, no, it's not always going to happen. And just because it happened before doesn't mean it's going to happen every single time. Yeah, And it's a challenge. It's... And it is really difficult as well because those um, reactions, the you know laid down inbuilt reactions, um, the tiger awareness, yeah, 
that's something that happens without your prefrontal cortex. Mm. So without the parts of your brain that can think, mm. hey, you know, don't, you know, that right. might not be true yeah. or can rationalize it or logic it. Mm. That part of the brain is not involved in the decision to look for threats it's yeah. you know switched off it's you know i yeah. mean even like from a scientific point of view that part of the brain doesn't get as much blood mm-hmm. you know during situations where you're assessing risk um so yeah it's it's a lot of work to even be aware of those processes yeah. in order to then yeah. you know work through them and you know try and turn them down speaking my language now you were really you are sp- i love it I, look it, I, I started thinking about the brain is that odd thinking about the brain a couple of years ago probably a few years ago now i'm really examining how this thing affects who we are and what we do and you know hearing a couple of years ago that the anxiety response is actually a really good response it's actually really like it is really helpful yeah because as you say if there's a tiger trying to kill you 60,000 years ago, that was a really handy response to have. <laughs> you ran away from that thing that wanted to hurt you. Yeah. Um, you know, the tigers are different now. The, yeah. You know, the animals are different now. And that response is not as helpful as it, as it could be and it actually really affects us. Yeah. And as you say, then engaging that part of your brain that says, well, okay, mate, let's try and rationalise this. Yeah. <laughs> let's try and reason this out. Let's try and make sense of this. Let's, you know, you're not going to, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it, it does. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of work when there's no stress present. Because mm. when the stress is present, the part of your brain that can process it, it's gone. It's gone. Mm. Um, and so I'm an art therapist yep. by training, and I used to work with kids. And we'd use this model called the hand model of the brain, which I believe um, was sort of either invented or popularized by Dan Siegel. And it uses your hand mm. as a model of how the brain works. And the I'll, I'll try and describe it as best as I can because I'm used to actually showing people. But well, show me. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'll, I'll try and also use a lot of descriptive words. Yeah. So if you think the um, sort of base of your hand and yep. going into your wrist is like the brain stem, so the reptile brain, and that yep. um, controls all the bodily functions, so, you know, heart and digestion and blood mm. flow and all those sort of things. Um, and that talks very well to the next part, which is the mammalian brain. So mm-hmm. I'm putting my thumb over my okay, um, as though I'm about to. I feel like I know where this is going. Yep, go on. Yeah, and yep. so that you know talks directly to the brainstem and controls. You know, says, "Hey, there's a threat coming. Run, run, or you know, freeze, or heartbeat. Yep, faster, or send blood to the yeah extremities. That kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah." Um, and, you know, that's the part that is active when we're looking at yep. risk um, or, yeah, if we think there might be a tiger around the corner or if we leave the clothes on the floor and we think mum's going to get angry. That's yep. the part of the brain that's active. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got our fingers, which are our prefrontal cortex. And we wrap that around. Yeah. Um, so they can talk and connect to the um, so that's the, the thinking brain yep, is yep. the fingers. Yep. They can talk to the mammalian brain. Um, 
But when that mammalian brain is switched on, you, and this is what I would say with kids and you know parents as yeah, well, yeah. your fingers fly up and you flip your lid. Right, okay. Yeah, that um, makes sense. And so then that connection is mm. gone. Your fingers, your you know, thinking brain is not connected to anything else that's happening in your brain. Yeah. Um, and I, I love this model because it is visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So really great for a podcast to use visual models. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so... But well, no, I get it. The, the yeah. fingers are flying up, flying and, up. and now those fingers that were once connected to that thumb, touching that thumb, they're no longer there. Yeah. They're done. Exactly. They're um, so you can't stop that process from happening completely, and nor should you really want to, because what if there is a tiger? Um, yeah. But what you can do is strengthen the connection between yeah. the thinking brain and the mammal brain. And sort of if you think about it like so – it's almost like your fingers are on elastic bands. Yeah, yep. um, so they fly up, the bands release, and then they sort of come back down. But you yeah. can tighten those bands. Yep, yep. Um, but you can only do that when you know, the when fist is closed, closed, when it's on. Yeah. Um, so, and the more that you tighten those bands, the less likely you are to have a mammalian brain response yeah. to something that is not directly threatening yeah again you don't want to turn it off completely because sometimes things are directly threatening yeah, yeah but yeah you can strengthen it to lessen the likelihood of flipping your lid yep. at times that don't need you to flip your lid yeah um so as an art therapist obviously i'm very big on the way that art and creativity yeah. can strengthen those bonds um I think creativity is super important. It's so underrated in the recovery process, like in, in managing wellness. It's just, mm. you know, it, you, we talked about Simon. I mean, Simon talked about just playing guitar. You know, music yeah. is a skill that I would dearly love to have and it has completely escaped me. Um, I can't sing. I can't play drums, so I talk. Uh, but, you know, Simon talks about sitting there playing guitar and, and I connect with that yeah. being creative part of that. So I think, you know, and... You know, you can. Some of the greatest art has come out of <laughs> some of the most tortured souls, really, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think as well, like uh, you know, art and creativity doesn't necessarily have to come from a place of pain. It's more about the, you know that sort of way that it integrates your body and your mind, and mm. it activates a whole different range of parts of your brain. Um, you, you know, you. You use your hands to make things, so mm. you're you know doing the cross brain um, actions mm. by using both your hands. Um, you're having to think, you know, so music especially, you have to activate the sort of mathematics parts of your brain, which don't work when the mammalian brain's active. You, mm. you know, in the middle of a crisis, if you try and do long division, um, you're not. Go- I can't do long. I can't division do long anyway. division. <laughs> <laughs> You've picked my Achilles heel. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, multiplication, no. Uh, simple addition, yes, fine. Um, <laughs> I can do percentages really well. Oh. 20% off that. Oh, yeah, I can. Uh, I'll explain why later. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it really sort of brings all those things together, but it really strengthens the connections between those parts of your brain. Um, you know, exercise can do the same. Um, 
you know, slowing down and tuning in, taking notice yep. can do that. Mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there are a whole bunch of things that strengthen that. Is there also – so <laughs> my, my father-in-law is an artist and he actually is quite good. He, um, he doesn't necessarily paint originals. He'll, he'll do copies of other people's stuff, but he, he's very good. And um, 20, 30 years ago, 20, yeah, 30 years ago, he started a picture of a tiger, speaking of tigers. And um, he had a stroke in 2000, sort of started this picture, worked on it a bit, left it, left it, and put the tiger picture away for a really long time. And um, just recently started to do it again and has completed the tiger. So this is a, a 30-year-old tiger picture. And it's quite good. Like, it's quite a good... It's a very good picture of a tiger. Um, but um, for him, he will... Everyone that comes into the house, he'll show him his tiger picture. How do you like my tiger? Do you like my tiger? What do you think of my tiger? All right, it's a bit of a running joke in our household at the moment. But um, is it that also that the sense of... A, you've finished something, but also B, you've created something you're proud of and potentially C, you've created something beautiful, like something that brings, you know, art brings beauty to the world. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, definitely a sense of achievement. And look, I will, you know, I'm a big fan of sense of achievement. I I will write a list, a to-do list (laughs) of things I've already done just to get the satisfaction of ticking them off. Um, <laughs> Things you've already done. Yeah, no, I will do it. Um, no, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like you know, things, this, particularly things that I don't like doing. Sort um, of like it's like a, almost like a reverse to do list, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know like, what I mean? You know, like I, I will put things that I need to do as well. But you know, so for example, like if you know, if it's a day where I'm, you know, have a lot of things on for work and. I, you know, say I got into work and first thing I did was check my emails and then I'm writing a to-do list for the rest of the day. I will write check emails at the top of the to-do list so I can tick it off. Yep. Um, yeah, it's satisfying. Um, I like seeing a page full of, you know, ticks. <laughs> um, but also, you know, in terms of beauty in art, I guess one of the things that I really work, you know, when I do art therapy, I try and work with clients to not have that what I like to call the burden of the aesthetic you don't have to produce something beautiful um, especially in art therapy because it's a therapeutic process but I think so many adults you know adults that I work with um, you know both clients and colleagues the first thing they say when I say I'm an art therapist is oh I can't draw or I'm not artistic. And that's a load of crap. Everybody is artistic. I mean, yeah, okay, so you can't paint the Mona Lisa. No. Neither can I, whatever. But everybody has the capacity to pick up a mark-making tool Mm -hmm. and something to receive the mark Mm -hmm. and put them together. And they can put them together in a way that is, you know, satisfying for them for creative for them we're not trying to be graphic designers we're not trying to be um leonardo da vinci it's about the process and the creation and really yeah a lot of the work that i do especially with older teens and adults is 
just to get them involved in the creative process. It doesn't yeah. matter what it looks like yeah. at the end. You can throw it away if you it's yours. Like it doesn't yeah, yeah. matter what you do with it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. But just in, in you know, be part of the process, be present in the process. You know, if you want to, you know, add paint until the whole thing is a smudgy brown mess, add paint. Yeah. If you you know, if you're working with clay and you want to build something and smash it and build something and smash it a hundred mm. times, do that. Mm. Uh, and that sort of playfulness as part of creativity, I think, is really, um, you know, drained out of us. Like, you know, even as children, you know, when you do art at school, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's the point is to make something that is aesthetic. Yeah. And... That's, you know, that's the last thing that art should be. You know, unless you are a professional artist and that's how you make your money, um, then obviously you need to, you know, create something that... That is aesthetically pleasing, yeah. yeah. I think the beauty lies in... the old, I mean, it's, you know, the, the old cliche, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, you know. I, I, I love the... So I've got this book at home called 501, 501 Things We Don't Know the Answers To. Right. Oh, I like that. And it's pretty cool. And one of the ones is we don't know why people like different types of music. Ah, oh, that's really interesting. They, they don't know. Like you can have two people brought up at the same time that like completely different types of music. There's no real understanding of scientifically what actually happens, what the process is that people like different types of music. They just don't know it. So for me, I've, I love everything. I was saying to Ben before, if you look in my music, if you can't find something to listen to in my music collection, you're pretty hard to please. I've got everything <laughs> in there from, you know, gangster rap to, to sweet folk to death metal to, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a 90s kind of alternative music man myself, but I've got everything in my collection. Absolutely love it. And, and I've only realised in the last probably few years that I like sound. I just like mm. things that sound different. But this is the thing. I'll listen to a song and go, that's the best song I've ever heard. Like, I, you know, for example, I love the band The Killers. It's the last band I really loved. Um, my wife hates them. <laughs> hates them. She just can't, can't stand the sound of the guy's voice, can't stand the sound of the music, just doesn't like it. Just makes me turn, makes me skip the song when it comes on to a big CD or something like that. And um, to me, it's like I find there's something in that that I find beautiful. You yeah. know, something there I connected to at some point in my life. Um, there are some memory stuff. You know, I was listening to The Killers when, when my marriage broke down. So there's some of that stuff that kind of helped me through. But um, I think the beauty lies in that somebody will look at that, even if it's just you, and yeah. goes, like, I love that. I created that. That's perfect. Yeah. Someone else looks at it and goes, you know, that's that's a hodgepodge. Like, I've looked at a lot of art and just gone, well, if that's art, I can do that. <laughs> like, like, truthfully. But by the same token, somebody else will look at that and go, that's brilliant. That's innovative. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. And for me, it's, it's that idea that, you know, you watch, you watch a movie and somebody will go, hated that. No, I loved it. You watch, listen to a song, love that, hated it. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's up to you. It's, it's the, beauty, the beauty in it is the beauty you find in it, for me. Yeah, and I think when you're making something, you know, on your own for yourself, um, you know, either as part of therapy or just, you know, on your own, mm. the the beauty, you know, not in the aesthetic sense, but in the, you know, sort of metaphysical sense, I don't know, mm. but in, yeah. in a different sense, yeah. the beauty is in, yes, in the process, but also what it 
you know means for you and yep. you know what that process has brought up for you or yeah. you know how it feels um you know how it feels physically how it feels emotionally and you know one of the most amazing things at, you know highest privileges for me as an art therapist is you know saying to somebody tell me a bit more about this part of your drawing mm. and for them to say um, actually I, I will use a specific example because there's a wonderful example um, so I used to um, work with kids and there was um, a young boy who you know had a lot of trouble at home and things like that and um, I did a, an exercise that I do quite frequently it said you know draw your favorite kind of day you know, a, a good day. Um, and he drew a picture of a beach and um, there was a little um, sort of yellow, highlighter yellow circle on the beach and I pointed to it and I said, oh, can you tell me a bit more about that? And he said, oh, that's a pearl and it's beautiful and even though it's hiding under a bit of sand, you can still see that it's beautiful and valuable. And I'm going to cry just talking about it. Um, but it's okay. We encourage crying. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know w- was the drawing technically proficient? Irrelevant. No. That story, that how it felt for him. Yeah. And, you know, I'm having, you know, worked with him for longer than just that one session, we sort of explored those ideas a bit mm. further. But even if it, you know, in the moment of drawing that he just sort of didn't connect that to his own experience, yeah. just that idea that, a, a, you know, a pearl could be half buried and still be seen and be beautiful, like that's yeah. a, a really amazing story that yeah. came out through this drawing, um, you know, without putting any sort of psychological interpretation, still yeah. like just by itself, what a beautiful story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, that can be part of sort of anybody's creativity or, you know, just play and experimentation, be that with, yeah, physical art or music or writing, whatever it is, to just, you know, look at it again and and understand or tell stories about it or, you know, tell stories in your head and then bring it back to the, you know, whatever creative output you've got. Mm. That that's a huge amount of beauty. Uh, again, aesthetics be damned. It, it's beautiful, and it's yeah. a you know, it's also wonderful to be part of that. You know, like processing it yourself, doing it yourself, and finding beauty even in something that's quite traumatic, and finding compassion for yourself yeah. through something creative and not necessarily directly related to your you know trauma or distress or whatever finding compassion through for yourself through expressing things in a way that you didn't automatically think to do yeah and um <clears throat> i'm going to assume then <laughs> i'll just make an assumption tell me if i'm wrong <laughs> that You've got a pretty active art studio at your house. <laughs> um, I have a really messy uh, shelf, um, yeah, set of shelves. The very, um, you know, we, we live in a, quite a small house and 
Um, I have a lot of art supplies <laughs> uh, and craft supplies and, you know, sewing and, you know, knitting and whatever other thing that my ADHD brain goes, oh, I want to learn to do that thing this week. Yep. Uh, I have, a, yeah, a lot of supplies and not a lot of space to put them in. Um, but I'm, I'm always doing something. Yeah. I have to have a project or five on the go. <laughs> um, I, yep. just, I just got done talking to Ben before, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and and look, I I feel I've said to Ben, and, and people will hear these episodes two weeks apart and hear me say the same thing. But I said to Ben, my wife does call me half a job Holstein. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that I've been diagnosed, and I'm not necessarily. I don't know where I am on the spectrum, but I'm definitely somewhere on that spectrum. I'm definitely sitting there somewhere there's no doubt about that and i think look like i said i think that is super important like for me um i said to you off air when i when i sat down and thought about the things that i could do um i'm a disability worker by background i do training now i train other disability workers mental health is one of my passions i considered going into trying to do something around mental health promotion but so many people out there doing it really well and and you know there's a huge presence already but um podcasting it was my thing and the really interesting i I feel like i connect to some of the stuff that you're saying because um podcast about mental health is never going to be the most popular podcast in the country like let's be honest it's it's just not it's a it's a tough sell to get people to listen to you know general interest stuff are are really good and things where people talk about you know far more you know sort of uh, light-hearted topics i guess on some levels but we create something, and I feel like I do, I feel like I create something that, you know, as you say, somebody can listen to something, somebody can hear something on here, they can get something out of this, they can understand something about the person talking, and maybe even understand something about themselves, walk away from this, and it it shifts them, even if it's just a little bit, even if it's just a tiny shift. You know, as they say, that you know, if you t- put two boats next to each other and you just shift one by one degrees over time, they'll be completely, you know, they'll be far away from each other. So if I can shift someone one degree, I'm happy with that. That's what I've done, and and hopefully that path that they end up on is a is a good path. So, you know, this is me. This is my. I don't. I, I, and when you said that as well, it's like, yeah, not a, everyone can sing. But just not a lot of people can sing. Only a few people can sing really well. <laughs> Everyone can draw, but there's some people that can do a drawing of you, and you go, "Wow, that's a look. Yeah. That looks exactly like her." And for me, you'd look and go, "Why are my ears on the front of my face?" <laughs> <You know>? Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like I said, there's some tortured souls that have created art over the years. Yeah, and I, I'm a really. Um I'm a big believer in the power of, you know, conversation to to challenge shame and stigma. And there's still so much shame and stigma around mental health. Um, you know, it, it's decreasing. But even, you know, just within oneself of being able to say, I'm having a rough day, there's yeah. so many people who can't say that because of you know, patterns, uh, patterns of shame, patterns of having to toughen up, you know, patterns of not being listened to when you try and say you're having a tough day. I always add fear of retribution into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fear fear somebody's going to use it against you. Yeah, Yeah. and that's actually something that I, you know, have found 
challenging. Uh, so I do some sort of work as a consumer advocate. So I, you know, talk to people without lived experience of mental illness about mental having a mental illness and getting over that hurdle of being very public about having mental illness that you know and trying to find a place where it's like well if there are negative consequences I have tools to cope with that Mm. um that's that was a difficult hurdle and um and you know still so you know there's a lot of situations where I'll talk about the you know general aspect of having a mental illness but I won't share my specific diagnosis because um, my diagnosis is highly stigmatized and um, you know part of the stigma you know on the record I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder slash complex PTSD mm-hmm. um, though I'm proud to announce that my psychiatrist officially told me at the end of last year that I no longer meet the diagnostic criteria oh. um, so I, yeah, <laughs> all that hard work um, it's an interesting one it's an interesting one borderline personality as well isn't it like yeah. it's a really interesting one and and part of the difficulty is that it's been used as a tool to dismiss and disregard yeah. what people are saying yeah. um, and, and dismiss experiences. And, and it's still that way, you know, in parts of the medical community and still, you know, people, you know, people that I know, friends of mine will say, I, you know, went to ED and as soon as they found out, you know, I went to emergency department mm. for a physical complaint. As soon as they found out that I had BPD, they dismissed me and, you know, tried oh, to... Oh, you're just a figment of your imagination. Yeah, or yeah. you're just hysterical. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, And, you know, so getting over the hurdle of being public about that diagnosis was really hard because it is used to dismiss people. It's used to dismiss our experiences. And when I'm, you know talking to a room full of medical professionals mm. and saying, here's why your service is not great for people with lived experience of mental illness. Mm. And they've got that sort of stigma and prejudice about that diagnosis mm. in their head. They're not going to listen to a word that I say. Um, and so, yeah, definitely there are situations where I won't disclose that diagnosis. Um, but, yeah, that, yeah, that's sort of the, you know, big example of fear of retribution but also you know how many kids were told you know stop crying Mm. um or you know i'll give you something to cry about Mm -hmm. you know then of course you're going to be worried that you get that reaction every time that you feel those emotions well up i knew a woman that you uh, remember falling off my bike and hurting myself and her response was your guts aren't hanging out get up you know, like it could be, you know, it stuck with me to this day. Your guts aren't hanging out, get up, you know. And it's like, no, they weren't hanging out, but it really hurt. <laughs> yeah. And I, look, I, I feel like also the interesting one about BPD is, is to me, the, the, the bit of sort of reading I've done on it, there's parts of it that look like bipolar, there's parts of it that look like anxiety and, and, and almost... I think a lot of people probably think, oh, it's, you're making it up or, you you know, you're just pretending that it's one thing when it's something else. I actually had a friend that went through several diagnoses and ended up with an anxiety diagnosis, but, but borderline was one of mm. one of her potentials as well. 
um, because she used to have these incredible meltdowns over you know the tiniest of things um, and it worked in the end that it was an anxiety yeah. uh, anxiety disorder um, but it's it's it is and it's fascinating to me it really is fascinating and I and Please correct me if I'm wrong with this, but I also feel like the, the thing that really fascinates me about it is because you have to do a lot of work to work it out. Mental work, I mean. Yeah. You have to really, really work hard to get a handle on it, understand it, and learn to manage it, live with it, deal with it. Don't, yeah. Is that correct? Am oh, I wrong I mean, in saying that? Or? Well, it's definitely congruent with my experience. And you know, like I was saying before, you can't sort of do the work while the mammal brain is switched on, while yeah. you're in threat assessment. Yeah, yeah. And part of the experience, definitely my experience, but I you know, feel reasonably safe making this generalisation, um, part of the experience of BPD is that um, that mammal brain is on a... You know, switched pet, on all the time. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, almost switched on all the time. Um, I guess if you had that, if, if you had, not to sound sort of, you know, flippant about this, but if you had PTSD into that, it's, it's a, yeah. it's like mixing petrol and nitroglycerin, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, and it's really, you know, really, really difficult yeah. because that, you know, that threat assessment mode, that's survival. That's, you know, yeah. You know, it literally your your body, your brain feels like it's life or death, mm-hmm. and if you you know switch it off, but I might die. Yeah, you know, um, it's it, it's really difficult, and it's a lot of work. And um, you know, one of the interesting things about the dialectical behavior therapy, which is you know frequently um, used by people who have BPD, mm-hmm. is there's a lot of mindfulness in dbt Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a huge component of dbt and you know i can't speak for marsha linehan who developed dbt but it seems like a big part of that is so that you can start you can switch off that part of your brain Mm. so you can start doing the work yeah yeah and yeah, and it's a lot of work, and I, you know. And is that that situation? If you start to feel yourself going into that space, well, that mindfulness now is our. We, we've got to try and kick that into gear as quickly as we possibly can. Is it, well, yeah, sort of. I mean, I think mindfulness is more about like sort of doing it regularly as a way to build yep. up, uh, to tighten those rubber bands. Yep, yep, yep. Um, to you know, build up your skills. Um, yeah, build up your tolerance. Mm. Um, so really what you're trying to do is stop your fingers from flying up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and again, that has to be done when you're so Almost kind of like that's your brain that's you're describing in that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> this is how it works, me pal. This is what I have to do. Um, but, you know, one of the great things that DBT does is it's sort of like I like to think of it as like an arsenal. Mm. Um, you know, not that it's about weapons at all but you know like a massive toolbox like one of those toolboxes that you see at Bunnings and you're like oh I wish I had the space for that toolbox it's so amazing (laughs) um you know one of those toolboxes of of different skills that you can try at different times and um yeah different ideas and so yeah like when like for me when my brain does completely go offline I'm completely like you know whoa I can feel like 
this is getting really bad. Um, I put my face in ice water. Okay. Um, because <laughs> it activates the mammalian diving reflex, which okay. is not a body system that you can consciously – maybe okay. some people can consciously do it, but most right. people cannot. Um, but it lowers your blood pressure and it slows your heart rate. It does that automatically. Okay. And because your body stops having that – you know, how, long, how long for? A few seconds? A couple um, – not a couple minutes, obviously, no. but <laughs> – not so long that It'll you worry about... It'll stop a about- whole bunch of processes <laughs> if you do it for a couple of minutes, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah not so long that you struggle to breathe. But just enough that yeah, shock the body. And, you know, you can do it a few times. Um, but that, you know, because so much of the stress looking for tiger's response is yeah. physical, yeah. it switches them off and it actually gives your brain a chance to start, you know, bringing itself together uh, just through, you know biology like it's it's amazing yeah it's amazing how it works and you know it's not for every situation but i can honestly say no well the only similar thing i've had to this is your first i love when people come up with something that no one's heard before (laughs) or no one said before the only similar thing is um i spoke to a a brendan bennett who um runs a a project out in southwest sydney um, tackling the challenge and brendan talked about having cold showers in the dark and um, somebody I know actually tried it and said, by the way, mate, that cold shower's in the dark thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But his, it was about, you know, the century stuff. And I feel like maybe there's an element of that to it as well, you know, the bringing that mammalian response. Yeah. But, but there you go. I, I like that. I mean, I, you do? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, uh, you know, the sort of tool of last resort for me. Yeah. Um, but it, you know... It's really interesting. And, yeah, DBT does have a, a lot of different skills from, yeah. you know, extreme mammalian diving reflex yep. tools to, you know, conversational tools and, yep. you know, a whole bunch of different things. So it's it's useful to have a giant toolbox. <laughs> so, okay, before we go, um, your for you, what's your uh, – outside of sort of art and dipping our faces into cold water, freezing <laughs> cold water – What's your go-to? What, what's your go-to for, you know, you've had a bad day or you feel like you, you, know, you need to do something to look after yourself? What's your, what's your go-to for looking after your mental health? I think the most important thing is to be able to stop, to stop and be attentive and, you know, to find out what's really going on for me. So, mm. you know, if I'm feeling upset... You know, you know, it just general bad day upset, mm-hmm. like not yep. anything related to yep, mental a, health, yep. but oh well, yes, mental health, but not mental illness. Yeah. Um, but you know, whether it's a bad day, whether it's something more distressing or whatever, it's just to stop and take a step back and be able to to notice what's going on for me. And if it is something that you know has brought up some trauma then being aware of that and making space for that and having compassion for that. If it's just, you know, that I've had a crummy day, then, you know, making space for that as well. And then, like, having stepped back, I can then say, well, you know, what do I have in my toolbox that will help for this? Mm -hmm. You know, is it, you know, to listen to music? Is it, you know... Go for a walk, watch, like, a, watch a comedy special, draw yeah. a piece of art, do a drawing, spend time with the child. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like, whatever it is, 
being able to take a step back, you know, and just sit, you know, sit and understand what's going on. That's hugely important for me and, you know, in just the day to day. Um, And then the other thing that, you know, besides seeing my psychiatrist, who I'm sure has a new pool, thanks to me. um, (laughs) But the other thing I do a lot of is I write letters. I have pen pals and Mm. um yeah i writing letters is really helpful it it, you know i always find it soothing um you know in a i don't know if soothing is quite the right word cathartic but but yeah cathartic and Mm. grounding and centering Mm. and interesting and you know yeah i i write a lot of release yeah like honestly yeah it's like it's out there yeah, 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 exactly. And then it's, you know, it's gone and it, you know, takes however long to get to where it is and then that person reads it and it takes however long for them to reply. And, you know, I mean, I guess it does relate to what I was saying about stopping and taking a step back because you can't be impatient with snail mail. It's called snail mail. Um, y- yeah, you, you have to wait. And even writing a letter, it, it takes time and... I have naturally quite messy handwriting, so I have to slow down my handwriting in order to have it legible by my pen pals. Um, yeah, it it's slow, and yeah, replies take time, and you know, you for like what is essentially a series of one-sided conversations, you can go quite deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it doesn't feel one-sided at all, but you don't have that sort of immediate back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's slow and it's deliberate and it's thoughtful. And and you can put them in a box and... And away they go. When I was, um, when I was 17, the scariest week of my life, I wrote a love letter to a girl that I was absolutely mad about. And I, 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 hearing what you're saying, I wrote this letter, I wrote it all out, I put it on the page, I put it in an envelope, I addressed it. I remember holding it by the tip, by the corner in the in the letterbox. These kids don't understand what we're talking about at the moment. Um, and then just letting it go and oh, it's gone. I can't get it back. Like It's gone. I have no control over this now. And I waited a week for the reply. It was scariest week of my life. Yeah. It was positive. I got, a, I got a love letter back. That was nice. <laughs> And I still have the love letter in a box at home. I love that. I still have it in a box at home. So, um, yeah, my wife is now going to listen to this and go, where's this love letter? Let me see it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see what that girl mm-hmm. said to you. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, I've, I'm hearing what you're saying. It's, yeah. you've, it's there on the page now. I've got it off my chest. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, there's, and the, yeah, the happiest moment of my life reading that and going, <laughs> I feel the same way. And you go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I think we should leave it there. That's yeah. that's a nice that's a nice high note. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Actually, thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really nice. You're very welcome. <laughs> Hello, folks. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of our podcast. Uh, before I go, could I please ask uh, just a couple of small favors? Number one, uh, we would very much, as we said at the start, love for you to review this podcast, and of course, please share this podcast. Um, the reviews help us to. Uh, help other people to see what this podcast is about and of course the sharing helps us to get our message out there we don't have any money so we're really relying on uh, social media 
to be able to spread this message. Uh, equally, if you listen to this podcast, now we do a warning at the start, but if you listen to this podcast and anything uh, triggered for you or it made you think about your own mental health or well-being or someone who you love's mental health or well-being, please uh, take steps to help to either manage that yourself or to support someone to manage their mental health. Uh, if you do feel like you are need to talk to somebody uh, and you can't talk to friends or family, please go and see your GP. Or, of course, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978. Lifeline on 13 11 14. Or, of course, the Kids Helpline on one eight hundred double five one eight double zero. If you or someone that you love is in immediate danger, please call triple O. Uh, but at the very least, please um, find a way to manage your mental health and your mental health conditions. And please support the people that you love to manage their mental health and mental health conditions. And again, if something you've heard today triggers for you, please go and seek um, some support uh, immediately to manage your mental health condition, whether that's one of the helplines we just mentioned or the GP. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.